Good morning. Oh my gosh, it's really good to be with actual people. You know, I've, I've preached a couple of times, I think, at the ministry center. I'm trying to decide if that's better than this, just because I can't see people falling asleep at the ministry center. So uh, yeah, we're going to try this without sunglasses and see how this goes. So this morning, um, I'm going to be preaching on our second of our three church values. So last Sunday, Pastor David preached on unity, and he had stressed the importance of cooperating with Jesus at, for cultivating our unity. So today we're going to be in the same passage in Ephesians, but we're going to be focusing on how Jesus is the cornerstone of our unity. He's the cornerstone of our unity. Now this is, this is good. As I look out, I'm seeing a lot of people who are new to our church, who, who joined us maybe during the pandemic or visiting. Uh, this is really good because we... Uh, regularly try to revisit our church values, I think, about once a year. And so you can tell us if we're actually living up to being grace and truth, to living out unity, and to representing the kingdom. So we're counting on you, especially you new people. Some of us have been around for a while. We take this for granted a little bit, but it'd be good to hear from you and get some feedback if we're really, the new community is really living up to the values that we, that we say that we are. So we're going to get into our passage this morning. Again, this is going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, this will be verses 11 to 22. If you're able to, if you could stand with me this morning for the reading of God's word. Okay, so this is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore remember that formerly... You who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. This is the word of God. Let me take your seats. According to uh, ancient Roman texts, around the year 27 AD, this is near the city of Rome, an entrepreneur named Attilius had aspirations to build a new amphitheater that was used mostly for hosting gladiators. Despite being very wealthy, he wanted to cut some corners and save some money, and so instead of using really solid materials, he made the builders use these really cheap materials and had a very unstable foundation laid for the amphitheater. So you can probably guess what happened next. Tragedy and 
disaster soon followed. About 50,000 people entered that stadium, and about 20,000 of those people fell to their deaths when the seating collapsed. Of course, several others were injured as well. You see, building on a weak foundation can have devastating consequences. In our Ephesians passage this morning, Paul uses several different metaphors to describe what the unity of God's people should look like. So most notably, he uses the metaphor of a body, right? And this is one that we're probably pretty familiar with. This is used regularly throughout Paul's letters. But he also uses the metaphor of a building, of a holy temple. And that's where our focus is going to be this morning. Now this, now this building, Paul says, has the apostles and the prophets as a foundation with Christ Jesus as the foundation stone or the cornerstone. Now, this is the first stone that's laid, at least back then, when structures were built. When a foundation is laid, that cornerstone was put down first. Paul wanted the Ephesians to understand very clearly that our unity is built on Jesus. Our cornerstone. It's better that than me, I guess. Now, fast forwarding a couple thousand years to today, we find that this message rings very true still. We need to understand today is that our unity is nurtured and sustained by Jesus, who is our cornerstone. We need to understand that our unity is nurtured and sustained by Jesus, our cornerstone. Now, in reading this passage, I was just completely captivated by this picture of Jesus as the cornerstone of our unity. And this morning, we're going to clearly understand how Jesus is the cornerstone of our unity in three very specific ways. First, Jesus built our unity. Second, Jesus sets the direction for our unity. And third, Jesus sustains our unity. So Jesus built our unity, Jesus sets the direction for our unity, and Jesus sustains our unity. First, it's important to establish that Jesus built our unity. So as I said a moment ago, cornerstones were the first stone that was laid when a foundation for a structure was was put up. And of course, Jesus was the first stone that was laid for the foundation of the church. As we see in, in our passage in verses 19 and 20, it reads, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. So two things to note here. First... The purpose of a cornerstone, if you don't know, like I didn't know before I researched this, is that it it really just holds two walls together, right? So if you imagine sort of two walls, if nothing's binding them, then the wind can knock them over, right? So it sort of serves as a joint to kind of hold those two walls together and keep the building from falling down. Okay, but so unlike that unsteady amphitheater in my example earlier that was built on a poor foundation, the church is built on the rock that is Christ Jesus. He is our cornerstone, and he is our firm foundation. Number two, what, that pa- what this passage makes very clear is that it's God who did the work. Okay, it's God who did the work. God is the architect of this holy temple, of the church. The faithfulness of the saints, the blood of the martyrs, and the New Testament itself, which was penned by many of those apostles and prophets, these are the foundation of our unity. Okay? So, remember that passage, and this is a pretty famous passage, and this is in Matthew 16, when Jesus says to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock, 
I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, does Jesus say this to Peter because Peter was this really stable force in the apostles? No, right? If you, if you know, Peter's, Peter's definitely not that on his own. Because Jesus made him the rock. Jesus transforms him into being the rock. Now, Peter, for all of his flaws, was also very bold in his faith, right? And we see this. He is literally the only person in human history, other than Jesus, who walked on water. He took a couple steps before he fell in, right? But none of the other guys got out of the boat. So he was bold. But at the same time, he also liked to tell Jesus what's what, and would yell at him pretty regularly, right? So you get out of line a lot of times. So Peter was sort of a mixed bag. But what happened at Pentecost? When the Holy Spirit came and inhabited the apostles, Peter preached the sermon of his life that day. You remember that? Peter was transformed that day. And it's the Spirit animating and empowering his people that built that foundation that we're reading about today. So today, for us, we are not responsible for for building that foundation because it's already there. God did that work. But what we are responsible for is honoring and nurturing that unity that Jesus laid through the apostles and through the prophets. So so let's let's kind of break down what that means, okay? Because uh, the language of cornerstones, architecture, this may not really make sense to most of us. I I don't know if Warren's here or not. He's probably the only one I know would understand what that's all about. So if you're like me and you don't quite understand or don't have an architecture background, let's try to use a slightly different example. So in verses 13 to 15, Paul says, Jesus has broken down the the, the dividing wall of hostility, and he made two groups into one. Okay, the two groups he's referring to are the Jews and the Gentiles, right? And in Jesus, our cornerstone, the Jews and the Gentiles, they're united. We're united. So so my kids have these... um, these colored uh, dinosaur toys, okay? There's like a head, there's a torso, and then there's like a light-colored magnet that sort of links the two pieces. So red, red dinosaur, red magnet, right? You with me so far? Okay, now there's four of these things, and because I have far too much time on my hands, what I've discovered is that two of these are North Pole magnets, and two of these are South Pole magnets. Has anyone ever tried to push two North Pole magnets together? Okay, what happens? You can talk to me because you're, you're actually here and you can see me. What happens when you push these together? They repel, right. You, it's impossible. You cannot force these two things together. Okay, and that's what the Jews and the Gentiles were, okay? In every conceivable way, they were opposites. Clothes, culture, food, they just did not mix at all. And it's the power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that this is, this is it on display. Jesus joined two North Pole magnets together, okay? And he holds them together in his might and in his love as the cornerstone of this new community. Now, as a multiracial church today in perhaps the most segregated city in America, we are called to do the impossible. We are all North Pole magnets, all of us, trying to attract, but finding that too many things force us to repel. In doing this, we are pushing against human history, against uh, human nature, against narratives that suggest that we should hate each other, that people who are in this parking lot right now should not be friends, should not align. And and at the very least, we ought to be suspicious of each other's motives when we try to to be, be family together, right? That's what history tells us. So in case this picture isn't clear enough, nothing, 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 nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ can hold our church together. And if we forget that biblical and live reality, 
and we are just, we are going to fall apart because we cannot do this on our own strength. We will succumb to the repelling forces that seek to separate us and keep us separated. And here's the thing, that can happen even if we appear to be united on the surface, right? If someone wants to walk in who's completely new to our church in this parking lot right now, they might look at this group and say, wow, that is the most diverse group I have ever seen together. And they, they might be impressed for a minute, but we should know better, right? Because we know that true reconciliation, true solidarity run much deeper than appearances. It runs much deeper than appearances. So, so how do we do this? I'm, I'm painting kind of a dour picture here, but how do we do this? Well, I think we need to recognize that it's Jesus who built and sustains this unity. Okay, it's not on us. It's not, it's not for us to muster up. And this, of course, requires humility, and it requires a deep, deep level of humility. And, and how do we practice humility? I think one way is to confess to each other. And that's hard, but we have to confess our North Poleness, right? We have to speak out the forces that seek to divide us and, and those forces that seek to repel. Because here's the thing, if we don't, if we don't acknowledge those things, if we don't say them out loud and we don't say them out loud regularly, then they're just going to keep on operating under the surface. They're, just gonna, they're gonna erode and try to, 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 to keep us from cultivating that true unity that Jesus has, has paved for us. And we see this, actually, this is not new today, right? We, we've seen this in, in the New Testament. In almost every letter that Paul writes to one of the early churches, there's some sort of division that he's referring to. But Paul doesn't just, doesn't just let them sit in that division, right? He calls those things out. Now, keep in mind, these are churches, for the most part, that were growing, right? People were being saved. They're doing good ministry. It's not as if they were falling apart on the surface. But Paul felt it necessary to call those divisions out in order to allow these and, and help these churches live more deeply into this unity that God has made. And we can't be satisfied with the sort of surface level unity that we sometimes will just uh, succumb to. And so I would say this is our work too. We have to confess our fears and we have to confess our anxieties. We, we have to acknowledge what seeks to divide us, right? And then we have to do that work through the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's not on us. It's, it's, it's through God's power. Now, one way we can do this is through our monthly Truth in Love groups. Uh, if you're not part of one right now, I highly suggest checking uh, one out. Now, these meet monthly, and these are safe places for us to confess to each other our racial sins, which is no easy task, right? We've been wrestling with this. The, I'll tell you, the, the Asian uh, Truth in Love group, we've been wrestling with this for a little longer than the other two groups and uh it, sometimes it doesn't feel like we're making progress but then we see through little glimpses that god is really working and god's faithful and it's in staying with it that we've seen how god how good this unity can be and we just dig a little deeper and trust god with some of our fears and our anxieties and we see that god knows them and then we can receive them from each other and forgive each other too and then knowing that we're hey i'm not the only one who feels this way it's a really beautiful thing. So I encourage you to check that out because we need to be real about the dividing forces. And we also need to be real about how hard this calling can be sometimes. But we also need to remind each other that's Jesus who built this unity. And so it's not in our power to break it either, right? We didn't build it and we can't break it. Now that's good news, right? It's the good news. We cannot break the unity that God has, has created in Jesus. So don't, don't worry about that. Okay? We're going to all make mistakes, but you can't break what God built. 
So we can, you can put that out of your mind. All right, so the first way that Jesus is the cornerstone of our unity is that Christ built our unity. The second way that Jesus is the cornerstone of our unity is that Christ sets the direction for our unity. So the, in addition to holding two walls together to keep a building from falling down, cornerstone actually is also oriented uh, in a particular way to, to set the direction or the desired direction for that building. Okay, so for us, for our church, our, our direction for unity is set by our church's value statement on unity. And it reads, We desire to ref, uh, represent the diversity of our church as evidence of the gospel's reconciling power. We desire authentic and accountable fellowship. We desire the corporate gift of Sabbath worship and rest. So I'll let you think on that for a second while I take a sip of water here. All right, you thought about that for a minute, right? This is not a natural direction for a, for a church, for any church. These are not normal things to do. These are not, this is not where our momentum would carry us if we were left to our own devices. Being a reconciled and reconciling people is not a natural thing to do. Having authentic fellowship that requires vulnerability and empathy and patience and sensitivity, this is, this is not a natural thing to do. Observing Sabbath in this workaholic culture that directly ties work to identity, Sabbath is not a normal thing to do. It's not a natural thing to do. But the trajectory that Jesus has set for our church puts us at odds with those things, with what's natural, and it puts us at odds with our personal preferences toward comfort. And I know I'm guilty of this. I want to be comfortable. And sometimes what Jesus asked me to do is not comfortable. So it runs up against our comfort, but it also runs up against societal tendencies towards segregation and towards separation too. So it's budding, this trajectory that Jesus has given us, it's, it's butting up against a lot of things that, that we, we like to do. We enjoy being comfortable. We, we, we don't want to be pushed like this. And yet this is the direction that Jesus, who is our cornerstone, has set for our church body. He has set an impossible direction for us because we need to know that it is only by his strength and his grace that our unity is possible. In three of the gospel accounts, Jesus refers to himself as the cornerstone. He does this by applying Psalm 118 verses 22 and 23 to himself. He says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. If you think about this, in Jesus' life, all the sort of powers that be that existed at the time either dismissed him, they didn't believe him, or they outright actively murdered him and plotted his death. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they, they were threatened by him. And so they plotted too, and mostly successfully murdered Jesus. King Herod, he didn't take Jesus seriously at all, right? He just sort of laughed him off. And the Roman government, well, they were only really concerned about retaining their power, so they just saw this as a potential uprising and wanted to squash that rebellion before it got started. So they all missed the point of Jesus, and they all rejected Jesus. Following Jesus on the direction that he set for us, for new community, is often going to feel like a lonely road. And enemies will seek to thwart us along the way. The world rejected Jesus, so it will reject us. We cannot expect 
the world's acceptance when following Jesus' direction. Is that is that something I can get an amen on? Okay. You're just doing that to tell me I appreciate it. Now, as Christians, when we insist that biblical unity requires racial reconciliation, we will face opposition, right? Yeah? Often from other Christians. When we prioritize and elevate women as leaders in our church, people will look at us a little sideways. When we uphold the dignity of all people, we'll be attacked and called names. When we choose to honor Sabbath and godly rhythms for our bodies and for creation, some of us may have to switch jobs and professions. Because these things are demanding more than is healthy or holy for either us and our bodies or for the earth. When we're radically generous as the early church was, culture will tell us you're being un-American. How can you enable that laziness? When we confess addictions and idols to each other and practice vulnerability and accountability, Satan will most certainly attack you. He's going to try and get you to doubt yourself. He's going to try to get you to be ashamed, get in that shame spiral about that addiction. Okay? Expect the opposition. Just expect it. Shouldn't be surprised by it. You don't have to be afraid of it either, do you? You can't let it stop you. Jesus, our cornerstone, is our firm foundation, and his direction for our church is set. And guess what? Nothing can set it off course. So that's the direction that was set. We're not getting knocked off course. So the second way that Jesus is the cornerstone of our unity is that Christ sets the direction for our unity. The third and final way that Jesus is the cornerstone of our unity is that Christ sustains our unity. Christ sustains our unity. So back, I'm going to go back to ancient times here for an example. When, when structures were built and foundations were laid with, with that cornerstone as that first stone, there were these things called foundation deposits. So basically they were like emptied out stones. And in these they would put like significant or symbolic items like animal deposits, um, small vessels, these kinds of symbolic things. And this was pretty common when temples or forts or um, like tombs or or, or in sort of important buildings, palaces were built. Okay, now the reason they did this, uh, and they, what they would do is actually they would take these deposits and place them at really significant parts of the building. So at the cornerstone, and then and then sort of like over the entrance sometimes, or just important parts of the building. Now they would do this so that uh, traces of that foundation would, would be retained through that building throughout its life. So sort of a symbolic gesture. Now some cultures uh, would even sacrifice animals, and, and some would even sacrifice humans. And, and bury those remains in the foundation, sort of as an offering to their gods, right? So, to, for protection against enemies, against the elements. And so you can see that the, the very DNA of the building has remnants of that foundation in it. So it's not only, though, in the foundation and in the cornerstone, but it's also, again, it, it's, it's in the important places in the building. Uh, and they were intentionally placed there. Now, unlike those false religions that, that required the ancients to sacrifice animals and people, what did our God do? He sacrificed himself, didn't he? Jesus sacrificed himself to be the cornerstone and the foundation of our church. See, God didn't stop at those animal sacrifices in the Old Testament law. Those animal sacrifices at the tabernacle and later at the temple, they were intended to point toward Jesus, the Lamb of God on the cross, our final sacrifice. 
And not only did Jesus sacrifice himself for us, but he is in the very DNA of the church. Jesus didn't leave the church to fend for herself. Every single part of God's holy temple, that is the church, has Jesus' remnants in it. He's the foundation. He holds up every single wall and and, and brick and and mortar and, and whatever else goes into building a building. The indwelling Holy Spirit enables every single believer to live united because the Holy Spirit anchors us to the cornerstone. He anchors us to the cornerstone. And because Jesus' DNA is in every believer, we cannot forget who we are. So just like we pass our personalities, our values, our tendencies onto our children and onto our children's children, Jesus has marked all of us as his own. So note this carefully, okay, because we've all been adopted into God's family. So when we raise and love our children, whether they're biological or whether they're adopted, we imprint on them our values, our hopes, our dreams, our, our some of our baggage too, right? That's a different sermon, but... But, but that's there too. But in the same way, Jesus has left an imprint on every single believer, on every person who belongs to him and follows him. So we don't have to build our unity, but we, and we don't have to create it, we don't have to manufacture it because Jesus did that work. But because God has imprinted us with the Holy Spirit, we can continue to nurture and sustain this unity that Jesus has built. Prune it. We help it flourish but without that impossible pressure of thinking that we need to build it. I cannot stress this, how important this is, because we need to understand that we don't build our unity. And I know that seems like it makes sense now, but I'm going to get to how we do this, okay? And maybe you'll, you'll see yourself in this. So, so just like we don't build, or, so, okay, sorry. So, so as we think about what unity looks like for, for our church, okay, for, for our specific calling, this direction that Jesus has set for us, we have to remember that not only do we not build our unity, we don't build our community either. Does that make sense? We don't build our community. Why? Because the community already exists. Okay? This took me a long time to understand, so I, I understand if, if, you, if, you take me a minute, if you take you a minute to get with me on this. But our community already exists. Okay? By virtue of God planting this church in the presence of all of you Holy Spirit-inhabited people, God's family has been established in New Community Covenant Church. So what does this mean practically? It means that you and I, look, some of us may not know each other that well, but we are family. Okay, that's not an option. We don't have to build that either, though. We have to get to know each, get to know each other, but we are, but we are family. So it's kind of like, okay, so when I was seven years old, my, my family's from South Korea. Most of my relatives are still in Korea. When I was seven or eight, we, we visited, I visited with my family. Met a bunch of relatives I had never met before. And I have not seen any of most of these people since then. But we're still family, right? It'd be pretty silly to deny that. Like, oh, no, I'm not related. Just because I don't know them doesn't mean I'm not related to them, right? It's the same. The same is true when when I went to the men's cookout last weekend, and I and I and I and I, and I talked to Justin and to John and to Andy for the first time. I don't know them that well, but we're family. Yeah. Are you with me on that? Yeah. We're family. Yeah. If you call New Community Home, you're family. Amen. You may regret your decision, but you're still family. <laughs> So, so what this means is that we belong to each other, you understand? And we nurture and we cultivate that unity together. We do this by recognizing that your discipleship, my discipleship, your formation, my formation, your walk with Jesus, my walk with Jesus, we do this together as a family. 
This means that you can't just pick and choose what you like about our church and just attend those things, right? We can't pick and choose the values we like and be like, I'm just going to stick with those. I'm just going to stick with these people. I'm just going to stick with these programs. No, no, no. We don't, we don't get to do that. We don't get to do that. No, we submit to one another. And we commit to spending significant time together as a body, even through that incredibly awkward 15 minutes on Zoom before the Bible study starts. Which I know many of you just turn your cameras off or just log on. And I don't blame you, but you know what? Sometimes it means enduring that awkwardness together too. Relationally, unity looks like accountability. Being able to step out of our comfort zones. To form those meaningful relationships with people who may appear wildly different than us on the surface. But it also means recognizing and repenting of how white supremacy how individualism and how consumerism have so completely and comprehensively deformed us that we start operating in the church like the world does. We need to humbly reflect. And we need to repent of the ways that some of us have become complacent with being adjacent to those who look different than us, but not really being in solidarity. When some of us look closely at who's in our inner circles, it's going to be a lot like looking in a mirror. You're going to see people who look like you. You're going to see people who went to the same schools as you, the same jobs as you, kids the same age as you. Right now, you might be thinking, well, listen, man, this is just unavoidable. That's, this is how the world works. I mean, yeah, maybe. But that's not the direction that Jesus gave us, is it? That's not the unity that Jesus had in mind when he sacrificed himself to be the cornerstone of the church. Look, I'm saying all this not because I've got it all figured out. Definitely not. It's because I believe God has a more beautiful vision for our church's unity that we're presently living into. God has a more beautiful vision for our church's unity that we're presently living into. Where more of us will collectively, more fully live into being reconciled and being reconcilers. Where vulnerability and accountability are regular practices. And where we rest together on Sabbaths, like today, and worship and in play. And we do these things with the understanding that we are discipled together. We are not discipled individually. We are discipled together. And that Jesus becomes more beautiful when our whole body is worshiping together and breaking bread together, doing life together. If this morning's worship set is any evidence of it, it is far more beautiful to worship with you all than to be singing to myself and my family in our living room where they're ignoring me or telling me to be quiet. The good news is that Jesus is the sustainer of this more beautiful vision that he is pointing our church toward. Because the third way that Jesus is the cornerstone of our unity is that Jesus sustains our unity. Look, it's no secret that the pandemic has thrown many, many, many things into upheaval. And our church life is no exception to that. But with this upheaval has come time to reflect, to evaluate, and to recognize opportunities for deeper roots to take hold in our church. I'm going to be honest with you, our church life is going to look a little bit different going forward. And at least some part of that is not going to sit well with most, if not all of us. So part of it's just not, it's not going to fit. It's not going to feel right. It's not going to feel good. 
uh, belonging to God's family and nurturing that unity that Jesus built is going to demand more from us than some of us may be willing to stomach. As we emerge out of COVID, I firmly believe that God's doing something new in our church. But the good news, folks, is that that path forward is the same as it's always been. It's that ancient path of standing on Jesus, our cornerstone. That part's not changing. So in those moments of discomfort, I encourage you to consider that our discipleship is collective and it's not individual. We belong to the Holy Temple and so we are beholden to each other to nurture this unity by caring and loving one another, often at the expense of personal convenience or preference. But the yoke is easy and the burden is light because we clearly understand that Jesus is the cornerstone of our unity. Jesus built our unity. Jesus set the direction for our unity and Jesus sustains our unity. Trust in the God who holds all things together and bonded us together to be his holy temple. Let's pray. Jesus, our cornerstone, we thank you that you were the first stone laid down. You sacrificed yourself to be the firm foundation of this church. God, we sometimes forget that. Sometimes we, we think we need to build it. Sometimes we think we need to uh, manufacture it. Sometimes we think we need to preserve it because we think we're going to break it. So God, I pray that you would just release us from those from those pressures, from those from those lies. God, help us to, to see clearly and to trust and just anchor ourselves on you, Lord, knowing that you are faithful, you are good. You have set the direction for our church, for new community. So all we need to do is obey, trust you, trust each other. God, you are good, you are faithful, and so we know you are leading us into this next season. And so God, it is on you that we anchor our trust and our hope and our faith. And we wait expectantly, God. We're excited. We're excited that you're doing something different. We're excited, God, that you've led us, that you're leading us out of this wilderness into something new. So, God, give us that expectancy. Give us that excitement. Uh, and give us the humility to know that um, we've got a lot of confessing to do to each other. Um, but we also have a lot of, of joy and laughs and, and uh, really, really awesome things to share and to experience together as you set us forth. So thank you, God. We love you. We thank you that you are faithful and good and you are setting the course for our church and that that cannot, cannot, cannot be knocked off course. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.